This is the Overtime Podcast Network. This is the Turn on the Jets Podcast. I'm going to love the Jets, so when I, when I have the opportunity, I'm hitting free agency, and then I just feel like the stars kind of aligned. And now, here's your host, Joe Caparoso. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Turn on the Jets Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Caparoso, owner of TurnOnTheJets.com. Today, we are going to talk with a Miami Dolphins fan. We're going to talk with Travis Wingfield of Locked On Dolphins. Uh, he's been on a couple of our podcasts throughout the network, but has not been on the Turn on the Jets podcast yet. And I felt like it was an appropriate time to have a, a long conversation about Adam Gase with somebody who's been following a team that Gase coached. The NFL draft is upcoming. Uh, we know that Mike McCagnan is one to defer to his coaches a lot when it comes to draft weekend decisions. We know Adam Gase had a lot of personnel co- control in Miami. Uh, so we're going to talk about how Gase could potentially influence the Jets' draft decisions. We're also going to talk about what went right, what went wrong for Gase in Miami. Uh, we'll talk about some of the culture issues and some of the roster building stuff, all that good stuff. And we're going to see if netting out of this conversation, I feel better about the Adam Gase higher than I did when initially it happened. So, Travis, thank you for joining us. How you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. How about yourself? I'm doing well. You know, it's draft season. It's a it's a crazy time of the year. Let me ask you right off the top, as someone who went through this pretty recently with their favorite team, how are you <laughs> feeling about the upcoming quote-unquote tank for the Dolphins? You know, it's funny you asked me that because I was thinking back to like you guys going into last season. I remember having a feeling like I can't imagine going into a football season like in the middle of the summer. Everybody's excited and every every team has this hope. And then there's the Jets that just know they're not going to be any good. I can't imagine what that feels like. And of course, 365 days later, here I am in the exact same situation. I think that as I get older and a little bit more detached from that like childhood fandom, it becomes easier because as you guys know, our teams have a tendency to beat us down over the years, but it still sucks because football season is the best time of year. And really, I basically have to punt on that favorite time of year. So I'm not thrilled about it. It's not fun. And it took me a while to really adjust to it. And 2017 was really the first season where it was like this front and center thing. And at a certain point, you get unfortunately used to rooting for your team to lose all of November and all of December. <laughs> and for the Jets, it's been like this the last three years and really like, four of the last like five years which is it sucks it's sort of the inverse of what it's like to be a football fan all my in-laws are patriot fans and the last two years you know i'll be up there when the jets are playing the patriots in november and being the normal football fans there, they're like oh you're excited for the jets pats game you don't want the jets to win i'm like no i really don't want the jets to win i'm like like it's okay if they lose like i'm trying to get a top three pick here i know it sounds weird but and it still doesn't feel natural watching the game when they're playing new england and they're hanging around in the first quarter you're like, ah, oh, like, is this a good thing or a bad thing? And then they just, it falls apart. So I hope, you know, of course, New England has been in the division with multiple teams who have been tanking over the past few years as we're all rotating, <laughs> taking turns doing it. It is a weird situation. I hope that the Jets are coming out of it, but, but we'll see. So Adam Gase, Dolphins head coach, past three years. Give me sort of your high-level feelings about Gase from the second he was you could just kind of breeze through these but from the second he was hired to like how your thoughts on him ebbed and flowed over the past three years he kind of followed that same trajectory as Tony Sperano where the first year you go from a team that was supposed to win four or five games and takes them to double digit wins and a playoff appearance where they promptly get smacked down by an AFC North opponent so that was the high moment was 2016 they won six games in a row and he adapted his offense to go away from what it was with Peyton Manning and the 
the Broncos and even Jay Cutler with the Chicago Bears in 2015. And he brought in this run-heavy 12-personnel type of offense that really put Ryan Tannehill in advantageous situations. And we thought, great, we finally have a coach that can adjust his scheme to his roster. But then as time went along and he had more control like you mentioned and his fingerprints were more on the roster it became more about guys are going to do it my way that's the only way we're going to do it and when it didn't work out some of that ego came out that you guys probably have seen a little bit of in the pressers and it kind of rubbed people the wrong way the results didn't go the right way even when they were winning games it was like missed field goals by the opposition just some lucky bounces here and there the right turnovers the right sacks whatever it might have been they found ways to win games despite the fact that the offense was consistently bottom tier of the NFL. So at the high watermark, a great guy that can adapt his scheme to fit the personnel at the low watermark, almost a guy that at the end of this season to me, Joe, it seemed like he wasn't even trying to win games anymore with some of the game plans and the personnel usage that he trotted out there. So as high as you can start and as low as you can finish. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Were you surprised to see him get a head coaching job this year? Uh, And in particular, get a head coaching job within within the division. I think you know, it was interesting. If you asked, and I did ask, if you asked any Jet fan who they wanted the team to hire absolutely least out of all the available candidates, most would have said Adam Gase and most would have said they did not like the hire. Of course, after he gets hired, fans are going to try to find a way to rationalize and justify uh, the decision. And I get that. I mean, that's part of being a fan. You're going to try to find the positivity in, in any of these ultimate decisions. Were you surprised, though, and there's not a great track record for this, guys getting fired and then immediately taking another job. Were you surprised he got another job right away? Yeah, I was very surprised. And kind of to go off the converse of that, like you mentioned, you want to try to look for the optimistic reasons. And I do the same thing as far as try not to be just too negative because, you know, Adam Gaze, our field coach, goes to who I consider to be the Dolphins' biggest rival in the Jets. So I try not to just bury on it too much. But I was surprised because I thought he needed a year where he could go and just coach an offensive side of the football because last year, I don't know if you're familiar with the situation that happened actually in a game against the Jets where Rashad Jones left the si- left the team basically in the middle of the game, went to the sideline, hung out all game game he was a healthy scratch took himself out of the game and Adam Gaze didn't know about it until after the game because he really didn't have a, a just a semblance of what's going on on the other side of the football he was an offensive coach sitting in the head coach's chair so I thought he needed one year at least one year to go back kind of regroup get his offensive system together and then come back in 2020 but yeah so very very surprised he got a head coaching job right away Yeah, I think what was interesting is that one of the first things he said, he was very forward about this. He was like, I want to hire a head coach of the defense, which was alarming to me because it's something that us Jet fans have talked about a lot. You want sort of that CEO type who's going to manage the whole organization. And we've had this with Todd Bowles and Rex Ryan where they're just focused on siloed on one side of the football, and it leads to problems. Now, Gase was very direct about it, and the guy he hired is someone with – recent head coaching experience, although it was at an interim level. It was someone with a very different personality or outspoken personality in Greg Williams, which is going to be a whole nother interesting to see interesting thing to see develop and take place. Uh, I don't know. I, I was a little surprised that he was that forward with those comments. That of all the stuff I tried to rationalize and be positive about, that I saw still as a major red flag, and also his hire of an offensive coordinator was something that I found very frustrating. I was hoping he was going to bring in somebody who would challenge him a little bit and push him to maybe think outside the box. What can you tell us about Dowell Loggins and some of the other guys he brought along from Miami? It's a pretty interesting dichotomy because, as you mentioned, you hope that there's someone 
and maybe counteract his personality or maybe, like you said, challenge him. But one of the things they actually talked about when he brought Dow Loggins in last year was that Adam Gaze is this complex guy that not many people can understand. But Loggins is one of the guys that does understand his temperament and can rationalize some of the maybe outbursts or some of the ego that he has to deal with. So I think that he tends to bring in guys that we would call, for lack of a better term, yes men. And I think that's what Loggins is. But on the other side of the coin, there was a preseason game last year, the final preseason game of the year, after the Dolphins trotted out three just atrocious offensive efforts in the first three games of the preseason. And they gave Loggins play calling duties and off like 40 points with Brock Osweiler leading the charge. So it's just, I, I don't know how much input he actually had because I think that Adam Gaze is kind of the, you know, the dictator of that side of the football but i just know that he will put himself with people around him that he trusts that he has relationships with and the guys that have kind of been there for him in the past this is the overtime podcast network gase was obviously hands-on with the personnel of miami what can you tell us let's assume that he's going to have a really strong voice in the draft room and we've seen that with mike mccagnan who is reportedly deferred to his coaching staff in certain situations, how much of that is true or not. I, I, it's never, it's impossible to tell. But is there any trends Jets fans should look for when it comes to draft weekend? And is there any certain type of player or style of player that Adam Gase might favor draft weekend? As far as the way he constructed the offense last year, because we can go back and look at what the offense was. That was an entire Adam Gase production from Danny Amendola to Albert Wilson to a lesser extent. And it was so strange the way that he used those guys. I'll throw Frank Gore in there as well in the backfield because he bolstered this roster with slot receivers, which I thought in theory made sense because Tannehill's best success in his career was going over the middle of the field to slot guys like Devon Best and Jarvis Landry or tight ends like going back to Charles Clay or even a couple of ragtag tight ends they had in that 2016 playoff year. So he kind of focused on the central part of the offense and built it that way. He had Albert Wilson, who was kind of a jack of all trades, but somehow only saw 10 snaps in a certain game back in like week three against the Raiders I thought that was pretty strange but as far as what he does on draft day I think that he has prototypes that he really adheres to as far as what he wants his football team to look like and for the Dolphins it was trying to put together this high flying high pat or high powered passing offense that could score points which is comical looking back in hindsight and then compound that or complement that rather with a, def- a defensive line that can rush the passer and get after the quarterback and create takeaways so that's the idea of what an Adam Gase football team wants to look like He just never executed it in Miami. So looking at the Jets, right now I think everyone wants him to trade back. That's the kind of thing that's, I would say, easier said than done. Uh, I think they're probably in a situation where they're going to get stuck with a third overall pick. Stuck, it's not the the worst problem to have in the world. Quinn and Williams, Josh Allen are the two guys most commonly rumored. Quinn and Williams would be another interior defensive lineman to add to the long list of interior defensive linemen the Jets have drafted, although he's probably a higher-regarded prospect than Allen, uh, who's more of a traditional edge rusher. Any thoughts on which way, if Gase had a vote, a vote between those two, which way he might go? It's hard to say. I mean, they never traded back when he was here in Miami. And like I said, it's hard to kind of differentiate who was responsible for what. But I, I would say they'd probably stay pick and make a uh, stay put and make a pick there. And I would say Josh Allen because of the edge rushing presence that you mentioned. You know, last year they had Cam Wake. They traded for Robert Quinn. They drafted Charles Harris the year before. So there's definitely an emphasis on finding that edge rusher. So I would say that direction. 
but I think that maybe if they want to move back, he could look to solidify the offensive line and go after a guy like Garrett Bradbury because he does need a good center to run this offense, and you, you guys definitely need one of those players, and Bradbury be a perfect fit. So Josh Allen, Quinn Williams, uh, Garrett Bradbury, whoever you guys have to pick from there, I mean, they're all pretty good choices. How accurate is the perception that Gase has a problem getting along with certain types of players, big name players, star players, and uh, that is something that Jet fans should potentially be concerned about going forward. The The talking point of the narrative is that the Jets hired Adam Gase because of Sam Darnold. He's the perfect guy to develop Sam Darnold. Everything else is kind of being ignored or kind of put to the wayside with why he could or could not work how potentially abrasive is he going to be with certain potential big personalities or higher paid players in the locker room? I think after the 2017 season, you probably could have written it off to certain guys, maybe not being the most easy people to get along with. Jarvis Landry rubs a lot of people the wrong way. Jay Ajayi is just kind of an a-hole, for lack of a better term. And Ndamukong Sue, who knows where his motives are these days. So those are three guys that departed going into 2018 but then you go fast forward to the end of 2018 and you've got guys like Danny Amendola saying I'm under contract so this is where I'm going to be you've got Jawan James the free agent saying it depends on who's the head coach here next year depending on if I return and you had Kenyon Drake who wanted out if Adam Gaze was back so I think that you know, we talk about the ego and kind of do it my way or get out. And that's kind of what Adam Gaze was in Miami. That's definitely going to be something he has to learn from and adapts in his second go around here with the Jets because it was not a good situation in that Dolphins locker room last December. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Where I'm trying to be optimistic about this. Tell me some positive things about how Adam Gase builds an offense that potentially works with a quarterback. Gase is basically going to sink or swim right or wrong with Sam Darnold's improvement. If Sam Darnold takes a major jump next year and the Jets go 7-9 and nine or 8-8, eight and eight, that's going to be enough for Gase to keep his job and probably for their GM to keep their job despite it being five years without him making the playoffs. It's a conversation for a different day that I could talk about for 17 hours. But he's here first and foremost for Darnold. So if Darnold takes a big jump forward next year, Gase is probably going to lock himself here, not just for the year after, but probably even for the year after that. Why is there reason to be optimistic that he could build an offense that will play to his strengths and he'll help Darnold ultimately develop? Kind of the same reasons that gave us hope in Miami, both with Gaze and with Ryan Tannehill, because there's always these brief flashes where you say, okay, that's a type of coach or a quarterback, whatever it might be, that I can work with. And there were plenty of those instances for the three years that he was in Miami. He got nine touchdowns out of Jarvis Landry in 2017, a guy that really in the red zone, because of a lack of speed and separation ability, just isn't that effective of a player. But he found a way to scheme red zone touchdowns for guys like Jarvis Landry, for instance. He also had some game plans that were just flawless from start to finish, whether it was the Patriots game last year with the Miracle the the running game they implemented that game with the pulling guard and tackle both from the backside to the play side something he they weren't doing before that so he will show flashes of innovation and do things that make you say okay well this offense is kind of ahead of that curve that's being set by guys like Andy Reid and Doug Peterson and on and on and on but then there's games where he goes back and reverts and fails to help out his quarterback where he won't you know, we had Laramie Tunzel go down in a game last year, and they wouldn't give Sam Young any help. And Marvin Lewis, after the game, criticized Adam Gase for that decision. So there are those moments where it's like Albert Wilson and Jakeem Grant are working together, and they're getting Kenyon Drake the football, and the defense has no idea what's coming. And he reverts to the old plan where it doesn't work. But if you can get those those one instances where it looks really good and really sharp and fluid, and different guys are touching the ball, and they're alternate 
personnel packages. That looks good. And if you can do that, you know, game in and game out, then you have something. What are some trends that we could expect to see with Gase's offense? We have an idea of what the Jets' base personnel is going to be. It's going to be Le'Veon Bell. It's going to be Robbie Anderson. It's going to be Chris Herndon. It's going to be Quincy Inouye. It's going to be Jamerson Crowder. Those are their five go-to guys on offense, their top three receivers, their top tight end, their top running back. How would you expect to see sort of touches and targets divided up among those guys? And is there going to be any sort of reoccurring things we could look for in terms of how where Sam Donald is going with the football? Is it going to be concentrated more in the short to intermediate passing game? Is it going to be over the middle of the field? How do you expect those guys to be utilized and featured in the offense? So the running game will be secondary, and the way he'll replace the running game is with outside screens. They have bubbles and tunnels and smokes and slips. Every type of screen in the playbook is is available on game day in an Adam Gaze offense. He'll replace the outside running game with a screen game. And as far as personnel usage, 11 personnel is his bread and butter. I think only two teams ran it more last year than the Miami Dolphins. So the one re- or one running back, one tight end, three receivers. And he doesn't want to substitute those receivers. Kenny Stills, Jarvis Landry, and Devontae Parker, when they were all healthy and all in Miami, those were guys that came off the field for maybe two or three snaps a game and played the rest of them. So he doesn't want to substitute his receivers. He wants a bell cow running back, which he finally has now. And he wants to replace the running game with outside screens. So I'm sure Le'Veon Bell will get a heavy dose of carries and and uh, and screen passes and, and involvement in the passing game. When he had Jay Ajayi cranking for that two, uh, 2016 run, he was the the bell cow, the workhorse, the guy that got 22 carries a game and, and four, five, six passing targets in the passing game. So have it run through just exclusively through Le'Veon Bell, three receiver sets, one tight end. And they'll build in their shot plays based upon sh- uh, short passing plays where they're going to run different different decoy routes down the field throughout the game. And once that opens up, they're going to attack it deep. And that's how Kenny Stills got deep so much in Miami. He ran the same routes over and over again, lulled the defense to sleep, and then they waited for their opportunity to take the big shot. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Yeah, I do feel like this hire should be a positive thing for a guy like Robbie Anderson, knowing the success that we saw a guy like Stills have at times in Miami and with Rob, you know, with Anderson's ability to get behind the defense. You guys have, you know, seen that firsthand a few times over the past few years. Is there anything from a game management perspective that we should be looking for? Jet fans hated Todd Bowles for for many reasons, some fair, some unfair. But he was notably very conservative with how he managed the game. Uh, Punting when maybe they should have went for it. Settling for a field goal maybe when they should have went for it. Uh, Sloppy with his timeouts. Generally conservative uh, with his game management. How is Gase's game management? And is that something that he takes on himself? Or is there another member of the staff he leans on for that? What were some trends uh, with how he handled that in Miami over the past few years? He did have special teams coordinator Darren Rizzi doing a lot of the stuff early on and he was here for all three years with M. Gay, so I think that he really leaned on Rizzi for some of that expertise, a guy that was with the Dolphins organization for over a decade. So he had that guy to lean on as he will in New York with multiple staffers that are experienced there as well. But as far as what his timeout usage was, I always was a fan of the way he used timeouts. I think sometimes guys will go into the halftime or end of game with timeouts in their pocket. He never did that. He always found a way to get them called and preserve time the right way. As far as his mentality from an aggressive and conservative standpoint, he tends to lean more on the conservative side, but I do wonder if that was a, a function of him just not trusting his offense. There was a game last year against the Colts. Dolphins 
had a, a 10 point lead in the fourth quarter and blew it. And basically, if it didn't work out on first down, like a first down pass went incomplete, he just canned the entire drive and ran the ball, punted it back to the def- to, to Andrew Luck and trusted the Dolphins' defense, which was also a mistake. So he tends to lean more on the conservative side, but I think that might have been more to do with the fact that he just didn't trust his quarterback. I just got a tweet from Scott Maskin asking me to ask you what Joe Shad said about the Dolphins' locker room after the final game last season. I think it had to do with that the comment I mentioned where Juwan James and Kenyon Drake and Danny Amendola were basically all not ready to go to bat for Adam Gaze. And there was even a comment about Frank Gore, which was later denied. And I think Kenny Stills was part of that too, but he also denied it where they, they there was a report that the Dolphins wouldn't go to bat for Adam Gaze to have him come back. And that he had basically worn out his welcome by the time they lost those three games to end the season. Lovely, lovely, lovely. Yeah, I think one of the <laughs> comments that I heard from Gaze that – it's better than what I've heard from the Jets GM and interim owner who refused to put any type of playoff mandate despite missing the playoffs for eight years in a row. He basically said that his goal is to have the Jets in the conversation in December. So that's kind of a step in the right direction, but also in my mind, being 7-6 and six and then getting wiped three weeks in a row, I guess you're in the conversation in December. <laughs> Miami was technically in the conversation in December, but I don't think anyone really ever took them seriously as a playoff contender, no. you know, at that point. So I don't consider that, you know, a successful season. And something that I've said that I get a lot of people disagree with, I've said that if the Jets don't make the playoffs this year, barring a 10-6, and 9-7 and seven type season where they get screwed on a tiebreaker, if they go 7-9, and nine, they go 6-10, and 10, I would fire both Mike McCadden and Adam Gase. And the reason I'm saying Mike McCadden because it's his fifth year as the GM and the reason I'm saying Adam Gase, fair or not fair, it's his fourth straight year as a head coach in the AFC East, which would mean he missed the playoffs three straight years as a head coach in this division. I think when you hire a head coach who's experienced, he doesn't get a year off. There's not sort of a, a ramp-up time. It's you basically expecting to win right now, and you need to win on your quarterback's rookie contract. Is that a pragmatic thing? I'm, I'm looking at a GM who's 24 and 40, a head coach who's 23 and 26, most people, I guess, would project the Jets to probably be about a seven-win team right now. From what you see, and now again, obviously you're coming at it from a bias where you want to see the, the Jets do poorly, and you're a Dolphins fan, understandably so. You look at this roster, you look at this GM, you look at this head coach. What, what kind of record are you anticipating from this team next year? I, you know, I tend to think that, like you mentioned, I'm a Dolphins fan, so it's hard to give the that's much praise, but I, I will give credit where credit is due. I like what they did on the offensive side of the football, giving Darnold more weapons. Obviously, Le'Veon Bell is a big part of that as well, and Jamison Crowder there in the, the slot. I think Darnold's growth is very paramount, obviously, and I do believe that he can take a next step. The defensive talent is there and good. You guys know that. I don't have to tell you that. But I do think that Adam Gase tends to kind of hold things back a little bit just because I've seen him do it with the Dolphins for three, or let's call it two and a half years, going back to 2016. I just think that you're not going to have the right guys playing on Sundays. That was a problem for the last two years. You're going to have management issues in the locker room. You're going to have crossover issues in terms of guys not getting along with the other side of the football. And then there's the whole Greg Williams versus Adam Gase thing, which to me is just maniacal in the way they think that's going to happen or that's going to work out with a happy ending. I just don't see it. So I think coaching is really holding the Jets back. And then I, I would agree with you, Joe, that I would just flush it after this first year and start fresh, both at GM and head coach. If, doesn't go you know very well for Adam Gase yeah I think it's it's not just Gase and Williams it's Gase bringing on Joe Vitt who is his father-in-law and also had an issue <laughs> with Williams during Bounty Gate 
And then Williams and Gase apparently already having a disagreement about hiring Greg Williams' son and what role he's in. And he had problems with people in Cleveland. It just seems like a lot of potential problem areas. And look, I think I think Greg Williams will bring some necessary aggressiveness and an attitude change to a defense that got a little complacent and lazy uh, under Bowles and Casey Rogers. I do worry about that divide between the offense and defense and personality fireworks. I feel like there is nowhere to go but up from 4-12. and 12. I feel like they're going to win three or four more games next year, but is it a seven and nine like last year Miami had with this like terrible point differential and it's a week seven and nine? Is it, you know, an eight and eight or nine and seven where they are really like a legitimate contender? I I think it's hard to, you know, say at this point. And I think everyone, and I get this because I'm sure you guys did the same thing, are saying, well, Miami's tanking. That's a guaranteed two wins in the schedule. I don't think that's ever the case. The Jets were tanking in 2017. They stole one from Miami. These teams beat each other up, and I'm sure everyone's going to pick Miami to go 1-15 and or 0-16 this year. And when everyone was doing that with the Jets in 2017, I said, I bet they're still going to win four or five games because they're still going to play Miami twice. They're going to play Buffalo twice, and they split with both of those teams. They beat Cleveland. You find your way to four or five wins. So I think for the Jets and any other team in the AFC East, the challenge is finding a way to be like 4-2 and two in the division. The Jets haven't been over 500 in the AFC East, I think, since 2010. When I look at their games against Miami and Buffalo, and I think Buffalo probably projects to being about the same level of the team as the Jets this year, I'm sure most people will pick the Jets and Buffalo to battle for second place. They'll pick Miami to finish last. I mean, what what is your expectation for a win total for Miami next year with Ryan Fitzpatrick under center and the uh, path that they're building right now? I'm right in line with your thinking there because the idea is that if – if, the, if Brian Flores is the right man for the job, they, they're not going to win one or two games if, because good coaches just don't lose that many games. And we saw it last year with Steve Wilkes goes one and done. And it, that tends to happen over and over again, where if a coach doesn't, if they get the first pick in the draft, they're probably going to get flushed. I know Flores has a little bit more leeway because of the way they set this thing up. But I do expect them to win three, four, maybe five games if things break right. You mentioned the Dolphins' bad 7-9, and nine, and I talked about it earlier in the podcast. They just weren't that good of a team, and they were finding these lucky ways to win games. Like, they don't miss field goals, and the opposition missed a bunch of field goals against them. And that's, that's like three-point swings every single game, it seems like. And... Like you said, the record isn't always indicative of who you are on paper. And, of course, we have the Ryan Fitzpatrick factor who's probably going to come out and have two or three games where he throws for 400 yards and four touchdowns and prevents the tank from happening. So if I had to put a number on today, I would say 4-12. and 12. Yeah, I th- yeah, that seems about right. And yeah, Fitzpatrick will give you one or two of those weird games a year, and I'm sure he'll do one of them against the Jets just because that's the way, <laughs> the way these things work out. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Um but yeah, look, I think it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting. Again, I think New England is the safe favorite in the division. What what else is new? I mean that that kind of is what it is. And the rest of the schedule for the AFC East teams, I think, relatively favorable. I don't know if the NFC East is necessarily that challenging. The you know NFC North, I think, is a tough division. We got to see how if Cleveland lives up to the hype and if how big of a step back a team like Pittsburgh takes. Um, but it's gonna be interesting to see how it breaks out. Travis, appreciate you taking the time to talk some Adam Gase. I hope there's no huge, massive fireworks meltdown on the sideline that we need to bring you back on to talk about, but we'll see. We never know. (laughs) Um, Everyone give Travis a follow on Twitter, at Wingfield NFL. He is the host and the page manager for LockedOnDolphins.com. Travis, thanks again for joining us. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it.